Welcome to Marla by the Numbers, season one of the podcast series from the International Association of Fairs and Expositions. I'm Marla Calico, President and CEO of the IAFE, and I'll be your host for this 2020 series. Our guest today is Greg Chico, the President and CEO of the Outdoor Amusement Business Association. Listen in to our conversation. Welcome, Greg. It's been really great to have you here as part of our podcast series. Now, of course, you and I, we've known each other for a long time, going back to the days when you were on the staff at Big E. But uh, just for the benefit of all of our listeners, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you came to be involved in the fair industry and now at this position with the responsibilities of the president and CEO of the OABA? Sure, Marla. It's great to be with you as well. Um, Kind of a funny story. At least back in the day, I don't. I don't think anyone ever went to college to get into the fair industry. I, it's changed a little bit now, but um, people just kind of fall into the industry. And um, my story is kind of kind of unique. I, I went to Syracuse University. I I graduated from there, and I was initially going to work in television sales in Dayton, Ohio. And my dad had a family business that he would never allow any of the boys to go into because he wanted to educate us and get us off into something else. And dad became ill and said, I hate to say this, but can you come help me in the business for a little bit? So long story short, dad got better. I stayed in the business for 10 years. And then one year at the Thanksgiving table, dad said, I really want to retire. I said, great, because I really want to get out of this 24-7 business. And so we we closed the business in, in short order. And then I was left with, okay, now what do I do with my life? So you're you're old enough like I am to remember a book called What Color Is Your Parachute, which mm-hmm. was a, an illustration an illustration that you went through um, to figure out where you wanted to be in a career. And long story short, it wound up being the Big E. Um, so I had I had been uh, the chairman of the Junior Fair Board there when I was in high school, and uh, Wayne was our liaison person who became the CEO. And I, I met with Wayne, and I said, you know, what, what do you think? And he, it was the time, of, time when they were going from a 12 to a 17-day expansion. He says, I absolutely could use you here, but I can't get it done for 18 months until the expansion's done. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to do something for 18 months. So I sold drugs legally. I, I, I was, a ph- was a pharmaceutical rep for 18 months. And then uh, the opportunity at the Big E came, uh, came about, and I spent 24 years at the Big E um, as director of sales and, and had many responsibilities, one of which was the Midway liaison, uh, the other of which was I took care of the governmental affairs for the company. So I had a lot of interaction with OEBA over the years you know, in different, in different segments of Massachusetts legislation involving the, the, uh, the industry. Um, so when Bob Johnson announced his retirement, um, I, I had always thought that that would be a great opportunity for me to, to enhance my career. I was always very involved with the OABA and um, knew the people who loved the carnival industry, and, uh, and uh, they were gracious enough to give me an offer. And uh, here I am today. They even moved the office from Florida to Massachusetts for me. So <laughs> how, how, how great was that? Um, well, you know, that's great. And, and isn't that funny? We've known each other for, well, dare I say, decades. And I didn't know you had been president of the Junior Fair Board at Big E. That's a that's a pretty cool yeah. thing. Yeah, it was. Um, in fact, it took a hiatus for, for probably 20 years. And, and I had brought it back when I was working at Big E. And uh, the young man, Tim Kukowski, that works for me today was on the Junior Fair Board. And that's how he got involved in the fair industry and, and now the OABA as well. So. 
and Tim's doing a fine job there for you too. What an energetic and bright young man. Well, Greg, thanks again. It's really great to have you. So, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations uh, in the past several months of 2020 because of the COVID-19 situation. Our industry just almost totally shut down. Um, and we've talked about how it's important that we work together. I'm very proud of, of the efforts that we have in working together. Um, but certainly top of mind throughout all of those conversations, I kept coming back to the fact that some of the, the best practices that your organization and our organization worked together on back in 2006 for a best practices document are still really true today. Uh, there's some recurring themes in all of that that we're dealing with. And I think it's ever more important as we look forward to how we're going to work on plans to, to open in 2021. So why don't we talk about some of those? As I read through that 2006 document, you know, there was a focus on communication, financial formula, operational guidelines, the legal and legislative aspect of our work, and ethics. And I think all of those are, are, are so important. So let's just dive right in. What, what are your thoughts on those best practices from what we talked about years ago to today on how we're gonna have to work together, especially in the operational guidelines and logistics as we move forward? So Marla, it's, and it's amazing that document, as you indicated, is, is just as alive today as it was when it was written in 2006. It was very, very well done, very well thought out and, and still applies. Um, you know, I think a couple of the pieces are, are more critical than, than others today. Um, the, the whole concept of communications is, is just critical, and it, it, it was even critical before COVID, but even, even more so afterward. I mean, I, as I said, I was the midway liaison at the Big E, and, and I can remember back in the days, the Frank Conklin days, you know, basically the carnival showed up. You said, okay, there's the lot. Go do your thing, and just make sure you drop the check off on the way out. And, and that has just changed so dramatically. I mean, everyone in this day and age has to work together. They have to partner together. They have to understand each other's challenges. They have to understand each other's finances um, and, and the way that they, and they operate. And the only way you're really ever going to do that is to com communicate. Um, as, as every business uh, has gone through the cycle of, you know, increasing overhead costs and, and basically decreasing margins, fares and, and carnivals alike, um, we have to start working closer and closer to make sure that the fairs understand the carnivals and the carnivals understand the fairs. And, you know, what might be a, a formula of yesteryear may not work today. And unless you talk about it, it's, it's, it's never going to change. I mean, you know, look at what the cost of some of these rides are. They're, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, insurance costs are just, you know, insurmountable. All, all the same challenges the fairs have. Um, yet the formula for 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 uh, revenue splits is, is pretty much the same. So, um, but all all those practices, Marla, absolutely are true. I mean, uh, you know, we're working together on legislative issues. Um, you know, I think I think the ethics part of our industry has really risen to a higher level. Um, the quality has certainly risen to a higher level. Um, but the reality of all that stuff is it costs money, and and you know, in this day and age. Uh, we don't want to put anyone in a position where they can't turn a profit anymore. Because if they can't turn a profit anymore, what, what's the sense of being in business? So um, communication piece, I think, and obviously the operational piece. Um, and I think the operational piece is something that's, you know, really doable. Um, what, let's face it, the, the, the carnival industry runs by a motto, so does the fair industry, that the show must go on. 
and, and this is really the first time I think we've ever seen the show not going on. I mean, we may lose a week to rain or to weather or natural disasters, but whenever in our history has a circumstance occurred where our entire industries have been shuttered for an entire year, and hopefully that would be the end of it. But um, So things are going to be different in the future. I mean, we have to face that reality. It's not going to be the same fair. It's not going to be the same carnival. It's not going to be the same food service policies and procedures. And, you know, basically, never mind all the regulations and regulators, which are substantial, but it's ultimately the consumer that's going to make these decisions and choices. So it's going to be very important for us to not only communicate internally, but communicate externally to our to our guests and our and our customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, I, I, really, you've you've hit the core. Communication is going to be continuous through all of these pieces of how we work together. Uh, as you know, I visited the Delaware State Fair uh, to see uh, Wade shows and and Powers Great American Midway in operation there. And certainly, from an operations and logistics side. I think we've got to figure out how we're going to talk with each other, fairs and carnivals. We are going to have to figure out additional spacing, uh, queue lines. What else are you hearing out there, the things that are going to be necessary from the carnival side of things that the fairs are going to have to understand in order so that we can successfully go forward? Well, I think capacities are are a real issue. Um, You know, several of the fairs that are allowed to open, and and I'll refer to the parks because there's more parks opening right now than there are fairs. Um, but almost in all cases, there are capacity issues that are put on on the events to reduce the amount of people that can be on the fairgrounds at one time. Some cases there's not, but for the most part, that seems to be one of the more important uh, factors that is leading uh, to, to being able to open. And so with decreased capacity, I, I think we're going to have to accept the fact that we're going to have to decrease the number of rides that we bring, at least in the short term, um, because you can't just create so much overhead that, you, you know, First of all, at a decreased capacity, it's very difficult to make any money. But if you have decreased capacity with great excess of capacity by bringing extra rides, it's just it's just not going to make sense. Plus, in a lot of fairgrounds, we don't have the space to be able to properly distance these rides and queue lines um, because they're geographically locked into how much how much space they have. And the same really goes true, you know, in, in the bunkhouse operations and the backhouse mm-hmm. operations. Um, you know, the social distancing thing. Marla has, has, has continuously been the biggest problem that, that we have as an industry because let's face it, fair, it's anti-social distancing what fairs do. I mean, that's what, that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. what, that's the attraction. It's the huge crowds. It's the gathering of people, the multi-generations of people that get together once a year when they go to the fairs. So, um, so that's, you know, that's, that's probably one of the biggest things we're, we're going to look at. Um, you know, I, I probably shouldn't get into financials because every – Financial arrangements different, but there may be just some modifications short term on, on on financials as well. Um, you know, and the other other really big challenge is the rooting. I mean, uh-huh. remember that carnivals are rooted in such a manner that they're going from town to town in some kind of semblance of order um, because there's an efficiency to doing so. And if you have one event that winds up being a standalone that the three previous and and three after events aren't there. Uh, that makes it pretty difficult for for a carnival to to, to get there. So um, there might have to be some considerations when when doing that. And you know, in in most cases, the the carnival well is probably the largest vendor and the largest contributor outside of the gate, perhaps, uh, and straight sales um, to the to the fair. And um, if you know if that evaporates and dries up at some point in time, it's it's going to be problematic for the industry. 
Absolutely. So again, communication wraps back into talking about that financial situation. So uh, probably a good idea that even right now, um, and, and particularly as we get closer to 21, the fair and the carnival, they need to be having some conversations about the realities of what we're going to face and, and, and really having some, some honest and straightforward conversations about the cost of operating as well as the capacity, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And as I indicated earlier, we, we all have to accept that things are going to change. It is not going to be the same as it always has. I mean, we want the guest experience to be the same as it always has been. Um, but they're going to have to be, the guests are going to have to be part of the process as well. I mean, if, if, if face masks are mandatory, then face masks have to be mandatory. We can't say it and not do it um, because that just erodes the faith of, of, the, of the public and what we're doing. Um, you know, the, the, the real problem in, in communication, as, as you experience as well, is I think there's something like 2,800 health departments across the country, and each one has a different, different set of rules. And, you know, sometimes there's, there's just one, uh, Debbie Powers calls them one little ant in, in the hill that, that gets in there and sticks her heels in on an issue that they can't resolve and the event doesn't wind up opening. So, um, absolutely, communication not only between the carnivals and the fairs and the guests, but also the regulators. And, mm -hmm. and I, I'm, hope, I'm hoping in short order, as you and I have discussed, is that we'll be able to formulate a, a set of, let's call them just rules for now, a set of rules that we all agree on and, and have guidance from CDC and perhaps John Hopkins or some other authorities that we say, okay, we can openly, we can open successfully under these guidelines. And we, mm -hmm. we will take the responsibility to execute these guidelines. Um, and, and even if we only get 40% of events across the country to buy into the guidelines, that's 40% more than we have today. So mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, and as more and more events open successfully, like, like Delaware, who didn't see any surge in cases after the event, um, it's, it formulates our arguments even stronger to, to keep pressing along. But Communications is going to be it, Marla, no, no matter what. It always, it always is anyway, but even more so at this point in time. Yeah, it, it really is a thread through everything that we're talking about with, with these uh, with these five best practices. Um, we spend an awful lot of time, and really when you talk about the health authorities, uh, you and I, again, we've talked, there are over 2,800 county uh, health authorities in this country, and they all think differently. And so from that, you know, that's part of our legal and legislative challenge that, that we have to deal with. So over the years, and, and again, um, I hesitate to say, but I think almost a decade now, uh, we've been talking together to try to help um, with the, the labor situation for the mobile amusement operators. They have had to come to rely upon foreign labor. Uh, most comes through a program called the H-2B visa situation. And we've been talking about it for a long time. Um, it's, an, it's probably top of the list when we think about the legal and legislative concerns we should all be aware of. Again, we're recording this in the summer of 2020. What do you? What's your outlook, and what do you think about that that labor situation, and how we're going to need to be working together in the future on that? Well, obviously, our labor situation is is continues to be critical, and it's funny because when I sat on the fair side of the equation, as soon as someone said the words H2B, I think I just zoned out because I had heard it all before. <laughs> And I just said, oh, I already wrote the letter. We have already done everything we can. But the, the, re, the reality of it is um, we need to make sure that, that our partners in the fairs and festivals 
understand the crisis we're in with labor. Um, Americans do not want to do the work of a carnival worker. They don't want to be transitory. Um, they don't want to work the type of hours they have to work. Um, and no matter what we do, we just can't get an American workforce. Even with this high unemployment that we have right now, we had some needs in, in recent okay. weeks for carnivals to get employees, and literally you would get one or two applicants, and they couldn't pass a drug test. So okay. it's 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 a critical it's a critical issue. Um, where are we now? Well, now we're in the same world as everyone else until the election's over. Nothing's going to happen in Washington, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been using appropriation measures to get a quick fix every year, but we need a we need a long-term permanent fix. And I think that of all the industries that utilize H-2 labor, ours has been the most consistent over the last 20 years. I mean, literally, we use the same amount of workers, regardless of the economy, regardless of natural disasters, regardless of wages. Um, and so I, I think there might be an opportunity at some point that someone will realize that and, and create a create effects. And, um, and, and but we need it. I mean, we, you know, this year we were capped out on our labor. I mean, if if we had a normal operating season, we would have had some serious struggles to be able to execute our agreements. I mean, okay. what other business would you be in that you, you sign a contract with someone for multiple years to provide a service, and then you can't provide it because you don't have any labor. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, as as we've been beating the bush for years now, Marlon, and, you know, we spent an awful lot of mo- money in Washington educating our legislators. Um, but every year we get more and more. I mean, we started this. We had support of, like, two senators. Now we have the support of 66 – or I'm sorry, 56. So mm-hmm. we're, we're heading in the right direction. Um, but just don't put the just don't put the blinders on when you hear the H two B call because uh, we're 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 getting closer every time. But until there's a permanent fix, there's no real certainty in our industry, and that's that's problematic. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, speaking on behalf of IFE, we're going to be right there with you and doing everything we can to remind our members, uh, all of our members, regardless of whether they're a fair or, so, or an associate, how important and critical this is to our mutual success as we go forward. And and I would be remiss if I did not offer up a hearty thanks to OABA for allowing uh, your lobbying firm, Hush Blackwell, to uh, work and advocate on behalf of all of the fairs and our um, respective organizations across the country and trying to seek some federal funding and relief aid for the fairs because we know if we can get the fairs going forward we can get the carnivals and the concessionaires and all related businesses so a big thanks uh, to you for for doing that um you know as we kind of come to back to a little bit of a close here it seems like we you know what has been that thread? Communications all the way through. Um, and, and again, ever more important in the COVID area. Do you have any tips from just talking with your members about where they see gaps are in communication or how maybe we can encourage all of our members to better communicate? Well, I mean, communication also predicates relationships, Marla, and everyone's relationships are different in the way that people communicate based on those relationships is different. Um, but if there's, if there's a common thread, I, I would say that it, if you haven't had good two-way communication between your fairs and carnivals, now's the time you need to start doing that because the carnival needs the fair, the fair needs the carnival, and ultimately our guests need to feel secure with, with both of those entities. And so we need to make, just break down the mentality that we can't do this because it's not the way we've always done it. We, we need to break through and make sure we, we determine 
and communicate with our local health officials, our state health officials, that we are a viable industry. We provide millions and millions of dollars to charities, not just fairs, but but volunteer fire departments, Lions clubs, um, and then we're you know we're that piece of Americana that's still hanging in there, and we don't want to lose that piece of Americana that both the fairs and the carnivals represent, and we're gonna need to communicate that and and do whatever it is that we have to do to make sure we're not shuttered in 2021 because I'm not sure either one of our industries can handle another year of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it uh, certainly is is uh, very um, dark looking as we sit here and record this in the late summer of 2020, and uh, we've got to do everything in our power to move forward with that. Um, you know, I was thinking about back again, the good old days, back when I was at Ozark Empire Fair, and even then without the benefit of email, I still recall I was taught by my mentor to pick up the phone and, uh, you know, talk to our carnival operator, and, and our carnival operator did the same. It was, you know, we would we were talking frequently, maybe not every month, but certainly throughout the year and I think those conversations not only helped us establish a solid way of doing business but certainly that interpersonal relationship so that we could be open and transparent and operate in an ethical manner with with each other and I would think today with the tools that we have with with email and zoom calls and all of that uh, we, we would all be remiss if we weren't actively seeking those types of communications on a regular basis uh, fairs and carnivals correct no, that, that's very true, and, and I, I find it interesting because both IFE and the OIBA have been basically having uh, virtual meetings online with our members, um, and I, I find it really heartening that there's a lot of crossover. I mean, mm-hmm. in the OIBA meetings, we've got fairs on there, and on mm-hmm. the fairs ones, you have some carnival operators on there, so mm-hmm. I, I, think it's, I think it's taking place already, Marla. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe this is going to, maybe this pandemic's going to push us along a little faster prioritize that communication a little bit Uh more and then Uh and then you know and then the final piece of communication it's you know got to be monitored and we really need to keep an eye on is the social media component Uh of this Uh because Uh the public's perception and and the and the ability for them to change the thought process of government officials on a whim is ever increasing and so we need to be proactive in our approach as we go into communities and as fairs go to open um, to make sure that their communities understand all that we've gone through to make a safe environment for them, all that we're doing to try to preserve the funding that we made to their nonprofits in town, the, the amount of money that we all spend when the fair is running in town, the carnival's in town. And so I think the reminders need to be out in the public communication as well. And so there's a lot of moving parts going on, that's for sure. Um, but, we, but we need to make sure we're addressing all those concerns. Absolutely. You know, I'm thinking back, what was it, a couple of years ago, uh, OEBA, uh, I believe Jay Straits was the, the chair at that time, and and us, we worked together along with NICA, and we developed kind of a little tip sheet um, that was primarily designed to be utilized during the fair time if you knew you had some legislators uh, coming through or some authorities where you could had some talking points about those numbers, about the impact to the community, about the safety and the standards. And um, although they may need to be tweaked a little bit in this uh, COVID-19 era, I think that's still sound. And I, I believe both of our organizations shared that document, that tip sheet widely in, in terms of encouraging Absolutely. everyone. Yeah, that's great. That's Absolutely. great. And well, I, you it, know, I think the other, part we've, the other part we've learned out of all this, Marla, is, is the cooperation between our sister agencies, between you know, IFE and NICA and 
IAPA and, and, and any and any of the groups that are out there, we all share a, a common interest. And um, I just think that the communication has been really good. Um, I, I think a lot of our associate members have stepped up, understanding how, how important our industry is to their business. And and it, it really is one collective family that's it's in the boat and, and oaring in the, in, the, in the same direction. And um, hopefully something good will come out of all of this, that uh, our associations will be stronger, our members will understand each other better, um, and then ultimately we'll, we'll provide those millions of Americans with some fun and some normalcy and some time away from their, from their Facebook accounts and just having a good old-fashioned time at the fair like they've done for hundreds of years. Excellent. I couldn't have said it better, Greg. Excellent. And thank you so much for joining us today. No, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to watching or listening to some of these podcasts. For this episode, I visited with Greg Chico, the president and CEO of the Outdoor Amusement Business Association. The 2006 Best Practices document remains a sound resource for today's carnival and fair operation. It's available to all IFE members in the library. Just search for the keyword OABA. Join me next time for episode number three for a conversation with Ray O'Day, Executive Director of the National Independent Concessionaires Association. We'll be talking about the top five best practices for working with your health authority. Thanks for joining me for Marla by the Numbers. To find out more about the IAFE and our members, please go to our website, www.fairsandexpos.com, or visit our Facebook page, IAFE The Network.